Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Solari Report. It's the third quarter wrap-up, the equity overview. We've had a lot of questions for the last quarter about what in the world is going on in the markets. And here to help me chew through this is a longtime friend of the Solari Report, Jason Worth, who uh, has worn many hats in his career. Uh, I always tease him because he did work for about two seconds at J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> But congratulations, you got out of there. They did buy your firm. But Jason is an, was an investment banker, a serial entrepreneur, and now is an asset manager. Um, he has for a long time written many different pieces for the Solari Report, both in the wrap-ups and some great book reviews. So if you do a search for his name at Solari.com, both at the homepage and the library, you'll pick a lot up. And we put a detailed description of his background in the in the commentary for this equity overview i want to remind everybody about the web presentation i'm just going to screen share for a second here um uh if you click from the commentary for the third quarter wrap-up you will find let me just bring it up the web presentation for the third quarter 2021 wrap-up and i'm going to run through two pieces there one is the uh the charts if you uh drop down in the navigation bar from financial markets. You'll see fixed income commodities equities. We'll run through that as well as the Rambus chartology. For every third quarter wrap-up, we publish a technical analysis by Rambus, who I think hands down is the best technical analyst I know. So um, I'm going to run through those. And then, um, and then Jason has prepared a very special presentation uh, it's been a lot of work and it's very important. It's on um, hedging with equity or, or running a hedged book on equity. And I just want to mention, Jason, how much I appreciate you're doing this because this is a topic that comes up again and again and again. And I thought, okay, we're going to chew through. This is going to be the definitive chew through on hedged <laughs> equity to last, hopefully, for many years so people can really understand the issue. So before we start, any anything else you want to say about your no, back, I, background? I just want to say it, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. And, uh, and, and no comments about how much fun it is to deal with managing money in this environment. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll get into that when I start talking. <laughs> it, 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 it could be more exciting. It could be a pilot. Okay, so <laughs> okay, so let's just dive in, and I'm I'm going to do this quickly. I'm going to start with uh, going to the uh, the wrap up presentation at our money again. Go to financial markets. Let's just walk through the markets, and then we'll, then a few words about uh, Rambus, and ho hopefully Jason, you'll jump in. After sure. spending all quarter and all year in money and markets describing all the amazing things that are happening to the U.S. Treasury and military, it's always amazing to see the dollar strong and rising. <laughs> but there it goes again. So the dollar, very strong year so far. It's up. Uh, it's up five percent. Um, but bonds, of course, you know we've been talking for many years about the the long term bull market and bonds is over and. Here you see in the first full chart, uh, you see the bond aggregate, which is an ETF of mostly corporate bonds, up 3.21% for the year. And then the, um, the uh, I'm sorry, that's junk. It's always amazing. The high yield bonds outperforming, of course, because investors want yield. 
and then the bond aggregate down 1.74%. And I would certainly say bonds are not keeping up with inflation. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Jason, but it's... Uh, I, know, I agree. It's, it's making cash look attractive. And then um, in the second chart, we have the intermediate treasury and the long treasury ETF. And long treasuries uh, and and the intermediate treasuries even performing more poorly than the bond aggregate. So intermediate down almost 4% and the long treasury down 7%. So clearly not holding with inflation. And this is a little bit nerve wracking always for me to look at, Jason, because the these are some of the biggest holdings in the pension funds. So yeah. pension funds struggling to make their yields and insurance companies struggling to make their yields with this kind of uh, performance. Okay, so let's quick look at commodities. And one of the questions, of course, in the stock market is, um, what is the, the cost of energy going to do to stocks? So we've seen crude oil spiking tremendously this year. That's the, the crude oil chart. And of course, with it, Russia, who's doing, um, you know, who's very dependent on fossil fuels. I just talked to somebody down in Australia. He said the coal stocks are flying on the Australian exchange. Hmm. But fossil fuels clearly having a year and a good year. And when we look at the uh, inflation chart, we'll see that the natural gas up. Silver and gold not having such a great year. I think to many people's surprise, I thought they'd do a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and here They're we They're starting have, to turn right now, though, which is good. Yeah, and that's what Rambus says. One of his three pieces in this Rambus chartology is that he's think, he thinks precious metals are perking up. But so far, down... Um, GLD, the gold ETF, down 7%, 7.31% for the year, and uh, silver down a little bit more than 12%. And then, of course, the miners, uh, worse than that. The bottom chart is one of the charts we show every week on money and markets. It's sort of the inflation chart. And what this keeps flashing for me every time is it's just inflation, inflation. You know, the only thing that's really down in the basement is the VIX. And, uh, you know, that's really the the Fed protecting, you know, it's the Fed put uh, protecting a lot of people from a lot of risk of the real world. Anyway, so inflation is clearly with us and we're hearing a lot more about that in the third quarter. Um, so let me just turn a little bit to Rambus Chartology. Rambus is um, a technical analyst. He's self-taught and I think really gifted. Um, he has three pieces. Uh, if you go to the Rambus Chartology, we link to, if you go all the way to the bottom of the page, you'll see links to all the historical ones. Um, and it's just a wealth of charts. He's an amazing chartist. I don't know how much you use charts, Jason, but I, I love to watch them because they just compress so much historical knowledge about where things have been and how they're traded. And mm -hmm. I just find it's... You it, definitely see in retrospect where trends turn and and, right. and it's really clear in the charts, yep. So first of all, he covers the, the precious metals complex and um, they're quite perking up. And for those of you who don't know Rambus, he's sort of taken it on the chin for many years. He he was one of the gold bugs following the, you know, the bull into 2011. And then he basically said, okay, precious metals is, is you know, is over and stocks are going to fly. And the precious metals community just went nuts on him. <laughs> it was, 
<laughs> you know, it was it was almost a religion, and the way they attacked him was quite remarkable. So he's he's very sensitive about precious metals. Anyway, so he he goes to the PM complex. Then he, um, I love looking at his stock charts. So let me get down to equities because he, um, this is the gold bugs index. He he calls this stock market the most hated bull market in the history of the stock market. And every quarter he sort of goes through the wall of worry and why people believe it just can't keep going up. And he's continued to call it as a bull and he's been he's been steadily right. And what he says this time, I'm trying to get out of precious metals and into yeah, here we go. What he says this time is he continues to see, you know, the all the technical signs indicating that the bull market is still underway. So um, now one of the things, of course, we see, I want to get to the chart I really wanted to focus on from Rambos. He calls it the history chart of the world. <laughs> and I always love to look at charts like this when people tell me, you know, the stock market's going to crash and it's going to be over forever. Um, this chart takes you back to 78, and what you see is you see, you know, that that the market has trended up. I would argue a lot of that is simply debasement of the currency, but the market has trended up, um, but it's been quite a, kind of a wild ride. And one of the reasons I like looking at this chart is you can see there were many times on the way up that you would have loved to have been hedged because mm -hmm. we're talking about some very deep dives. So this mm -hmm. is the internet crash in 2000, then we have the 2009 crash. Here's the crash last, uh, last February and March. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a long trend up, but some pretty wild rides. You know, I always tell people, go back to 1900 and pretend you had to, to protect your family capital through two world wars and a great depression you know, that's what real resilience looks like. Anyway, any thoughts on the history here? Well, you know, as, as often as people think, oh my God, it's it's over, the market's crashing, it'll never be the same again, it, it always finds a way to come back. And if you can just find a way to be in the market, but be in a market that protects you in case there is a crash, I, I just, I think it's smart. So I have for many years talked about a scenario called planet equity, and I think you know, I said at the end of the financial crisis, you can either, if you're Mr. Global, you can either mark the equity up or mark the debt down. And if I were Mr. Global, I'd mark the equity up. Right. And and that's what I continue to see happening. If you look at the extraordinary performance of the stock market since the drop in February 20th, you know, what you're seeing is you're seeing unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus. And of course, it's trading into asset inflation in the in the equity markets. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons I think it it's very painful to stay in bonds. So then uh, Rambus's last section is on the energy markets. It's all the way at the most of this is the equity markets. Um, and then so he goes into the energy complex and just shows you the extraordinary rise in the um, sort of particularly fossil fuels. And one of my big questions for the equity markets um, the biggest component of of corporate uh, expenses in the U.S., particularly manufacturing, is energy. Right. So, um, if the energy complex continues to rise dramatically, it's 
it's going to absolutely have an impact on And they're on certainly Trump. calling for that this coming winter, so we'll, right. we'll get to see it firsthand if right. that comes true. Okay, so, so one of the things that I concluded when I was still managing money, let me just stop the screen share. <laughs> one of the things I concluded was that if you were going to come up with a strategy that worked, the best strategy was to, was to be buy and hold unless you turn from a bull to a bear market and then you just go to cash. Right. And if you just sit in cash uh, until it, you go back to proving a bull, you'll be fine. Right. Now that sounds great, Jason, <laughs> but implementing it, you know, because because several times now we've seen the market go down, depending on whether you count close or inner day, thirty to thirty-five percent, and then boom, it pops back out. Yeah. So I talk, I'll never forget. I talked to one manager who swore he had the formula, you know, he had the <laughs> algorithms and the AIs with a big firm, and swore that he could you know, that they could figure it. And all you had to do was follow the program. And sure enough, in February, 2020, down they go, right. they wait, then they get out and then bam, it flies back up and they're hung, you know, yep. and it's anyway, so it's much harder to do than you think, because right. it can be down 35% before a bear is proven. It can be down 40% yep. before a bear is proven. And I think it's hard for many people, particularly coming out of the financial crisis to take that kind of down. So obviously one of the strategies that works is hedged equity. Right. And when I say this, there are a lot of lay people who are not financial people who think I mean hedge funds. No, no. has nothing to do with hedge funds. <laughs> yeah. One is hedged equity. And to me, this is a very attractive strategy in a world where bonds don't work anymore right. the way they used to. Right. So right. this is a way of staying in the market, but protecting yourself on the downside. And what is interesting is I ha I spent, while I was still an investment advisor, many years talking people through the pros and cons of, of hedged equity only when the market swung wildly to have it all run out of their head. Right. <laughs> and to call me back and say, are you sure this is what we should be doing? So <laughs> right. I, I finally realized, okay, what I want to do is I want to go through hedged equity the pros and cons in great detail. So yep. we have one place where everybody can hear it. And Got it. I'm very grateful. And archive it. Right. Yep. I'm very grateful because this is a strategy I know you've worked through and you've thought a lot about the pros and cons. Yeah. Um, yep. both with clients and personally. So you're the perfect person to do this. So Thank anyway, you. so let me turn it over to you. You have a presentation. Take yep. us away. Well, let me, before I dive into the presentation, let me just say that I, uh, I'm someone that came from a, a, a modest blue collar family where I was taught, finish the food on your plate, save your money, do not gamble, do not throw your money away, be very careful. So as I've gone through life, you know, when you get that instillment, if that's the right word, when you get that at a young age, that carries uh, through a long time with you. And I, I managed to go to a good school, got a good business degree. I came out, was working in, in Wall Street of all places. And, uh, and, and about three, well, about three years after graduating from business school, I finally felt like, okay, now I've got some money that I can invest. I'd been paying off my student loans. I'd, you know, you move around the country when you get new jobs and so forth. So I finally had some money to invest. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna go and put it in the market. It was hard for me to do this because I viewed the market from my upbringing as being, you know, risky. You can lose your money. So right. lo and behold, I go and, you know, at this point in time around the year 1999, tech stocks are just going through the roof and everybody's oh, making no. a lot. Oh, <laughs> no. You know where the story's going. 
So I, I, I didn't, I don't have children at the time, certainly didn't have children then, but I thought I'm going to put $3,000 each into two trust accounts for my nephews. My sister had two boys and they were very young. And I thought, you know, let me put 3000 in for each. And then every year, maybe I'll add a little bit to it. And then by the time they're ready to go to college, it'll be, you know, a nice, nice pot there for them to, um, to use. So in January of the year 2000, oh, no, this is so painful. I bought $6,000 worth of technology mutual funds, and within <gasps> days, within days, uh, that $6,000 was worth $3,000. And, I, you know, my memory's a little foggy. It could have taken a little more than a few days. It could have been not quite $3,000. But nevertheless, it, you know, looking back on it, I lost half my money in a very short time period. I would have done better going to Atlantic City, I think. So <laughs> I... <laughs> So that really set me back, you know, the inclination to be very cautious. And then the first time you really venture into it, to have that happen, it took years uh, to, to, to become comfortable investing again. And in fact, Catherine, I owe it to you because we had a consultation. I sat down with you in 2015 yeah. and you, you looked at my situation and you said, Jason, you have far too much in cash. You just can't be sitting in cash. And I said to you, but Catherine, as soon as I go to invest in the money, I'm going to lose it, you know, lose part of it. And uh -huh. you said, well, then invest with a hedge. It was the, one of the best words I'd ever heard in my life. And I, you know, I, I went to business school. I worked on Wall Street. I, I thought I knew what hedging was. I didn't know what hedging was. I really spent a lot of time uh -huh. to, to learn this and study it and understand it. So anyone out, let me just say this, anyone out there who is uh, concerned about the markets, you're hesitant to put it, your money to work. I get it. I've been there. I, I understand that. And uh, But I can tell you, I hope that my experience over the last you know decade or so will be of benefit to people listening to this. And so with that, let me dive into the charts and explain how hedging works. And let me do the screen share here. And we can see that uh, chart. Yep. Okay. So this is uh, this represents two thirds of an account that you're going to see the final third on the next page. But the red line represents uh, equity investment in common stocks uh, that pay good dividends. And there's about 20 stocks that are in that uh, red line because you know statistics show that you know you buy you you buy 20 right. nicely diversified stocks, you're going to get good. Uh, good Good diversification. You start what going year above does 20. That start? It starts in 2015. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, about the fourth quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter of 2015. Uh, the green line below it is cash. And around the time that this portfolio, th by the way, this is a, 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 a person's portfolio who gave me permission to, to discuss this. So I just want to say that as a backdrop. The um, Around the time that this money was invested, there had been a downturn just before this. And so the stock market was looking a little bit shaky. Right. And, and there was another downturn shortly after this was invested. So if you see the cash amount. There's a fairly good amount of cash there. It's because the person managing this account wanted to be careful and cautious in case there was a further downturn. So not everything was put into equities right away. And it's a little hard you know, you follow that red line and it, it, it's hard to see what's really happening with the equities because you got cash going in and coming out at times. So really, I think if you look at the black line at the top, the black line there represents the total of the equities invested and the cash that's not invested. And you can see it kind of bumps along close to that $500,000 mark for, uh, what is that, about two, about two years or so. Right. And then in the beginning part of 2019, it starts to go up. Um, and, uh, you know, as we all know from recent memory, let me see if my cursor can go over here. As we all know from recent memory, this big downturn there, that's, that's the COVID crash in the first quarter of, of 2000 last year. And, you know, if you think about it, um, if you were to draw a line backwards from where the bottom of that V crash is, so to speak, back, back in time, 
the last time you crossed that mark is about uh, a little over three years earlier. So that, right. you know, if, if you had sold at the bottom of that COVID crash, you, you, you may as well have not been invested for three years or you'd have been better off putting it in something, something else. So, um, and, and too often people react, um, you know, um, in, incorrectly when you have a crash like that, you sell right. at the bottom, you sell on the way down and then, you know, without the, the fortitude or patience to wait it out, you, you just lost money. So or I lost... just want to mention before you leave that chart, one of the hardest things to do when you're managing money, yep. you know, it's always great to have cash to buy opportunistically mm. um, in any condition, because you're always having, I'll never forget one stock that I really liked got whacked on an earnings report was down 18%, you know, just, and the market was stable, you know, so you have opportunities like that. You want to have cash, but I notice if you look at that big drop, there's, you know, there's a little bit more cash and then wham, you're down. And that is a real opportunity that really helps the portfolio, but right. it, it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to have cash sitting and not doing anything, but it, it, it's there, there is a reason you always have some cash in a portfolio like right. this. Right. Right. So I'm going to advance to the next screen, but before I do that, I, I want people to look kind of at that black line and, and try to memorize it to the extent possible, see how much it's moving up and down, and especially where, where we that COVID correction that we were just talking about. Look how far down that, that V-shape down and up recovery is. And I'm going to advance to the next slide. And, oops, let me go over here. Okay, this is the same account that you were just looking at. The red line's the same, right. the green line's the same, but this has the third element included in it. And the third element is the hedge. It, and the hedge, in this case, are put options on the Standard & Poor's 500 index. And uh, I'm going to, in the next couple of slides, I'll go into a little more detail on how a hedge actually works. But, but um, suffice it to say that the hedge kicks in and, and becomes more valuable when whatever you're hedging against goes down in value. So right. a lot of time, I think people have a hard time understanding, well, how can I buy something that goes up when the stock market goes down? You can. It's called a put. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can see here, um, if my cursor's moving. So... Uh, a lot of times you you buy a put if you don't need it the put slowly loses value and this is probably a right. situation here where it goes up we bought a new put and it and it's and or the the investor the uh, manager bought a new put and and it slowly goes down in value so when you don't need the put uh, as I like to say, it's it's like an insurance policy. You have car insurance in case something bad happens to your car. You have house insurance in case something bad happens to your house. A, a hedged portfolio, a put, is is a lot like people do actually use the word portfolio insurance to describe its role. If you buy it and you don't need it, it's okay. It's like you know your homeowner's insurance policy. But you know when the tree falls on your roof, you're glad you have it. And that's exactly what happened here with COVID. Uh, when the stock market had its big decline, that put went up in value because it's it's a hedge, it's it's a bet that if something goes bad in the right. market, it, it gains value. So um, you can see what what's really I think the really interesting takeaway is the the black line at the top. It it doesn't move around quite as bit as on the prior page because that put, you know, it 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 goes up when the market goes down. And, and so it, it helps to smooth things out quite a bit. And you can especially see in, in this area here where, where COVID uh, hit, you know, this didn't drop down like you saw on the prior page because the put going up in value offsets the decline in the equities going down in value. And I would much rather wake up on the morning of a crash with a cup of coffee in the newspaper in hand and read how bad things are when I have a put in my account than, than, than not. So 
Um, what I'm going to, what I'd like to do, I'm sure everybody's wondering, like, how does this go up in value when the market goes down? I'd like to transition to that on the next couple of slides okay. to talk about a put and how a put works. Um, I, I find it's really helpful to talk about the opposite of the put, which is a call. If you understand a call, which is easier kind of to, to wrap your mind around, it's it, then it's a little bit easier to transition to what, how a put works. So a call option gives you the right, but not the obligation to buy something, whatever the call is written on, at a at a predetermined point in in time or a, at a pre uh, predetermined price. Right. So take we'll just make an example here. ABC Beverage Corporation. <clears throat> you may think it's a, a a good investment. Maybe it's trading at forty dollars a share right now. You could pay five dollars for the for the opportunity to buy it. The the call would would cost five dollars to buy it at some later point in time. At a, and typically, you, you, you agree to buy it at a higher price. So maybe it's trading today at 40. You say, I'd like to pay $5 for the opportunity to buy it at $45. We'll see this on the next page. And if, uh, if it goes up, then you can exercise the put and buy it and, and make a profit. If it doesn't go up, you, you don't, you don't, you haven't lost anything more than what you paid for. Oh, right. Sorry, Sometimes I may have said put, I may, may right. have said call. I'm Sometimes sorry? you'll see if people have, you know, large capital gains that, that, you know, in an in a taxable account, you'll see advisors recommend rather than selling or taking the gains to to make generate income by selling calls. Right. 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 So if the stock price goes up, it works out. If it doesn't, you, all you have at risk is is what you paid for the uh, for the call in the first place. So here's here's just a couple examples really to kind of put some numbers to it. And this I was starting to say this on the prior page. If you think something's going to go up in value, you could go out in this. Uh, column here, this is where you're actually, there's no call involved. You're buying the stock. So you, you go and you spend $40 to buy ABC Beverage Corporation. If everything works out, if you think it's going to double in price and it goes to 80, congratulations, you've made $40 or you've made 100% return on your investment. Another way that you can bet that something's going to go up is you buy a call and, and right. it takes a lot less money. Maybe you spend $5. In this case, you know, like, like I was saying on the prior page, you, you, the strike price is usually a little bit above where you're buying it. Uh, and that, that causes you to pay less for the call. And if everything works out properly and the stock goes to 80, just like in the first example, you can make a lot more money. And the reason why is you're putting less upfront and you're getting more of the upside. So you, in that same situation, if you'd bought a call instead of uh, uh, the stock itself, you, you, you'd make 600% as opposed to just doubling your money and making 100%. But for all the extra that you get there, you know, there's a downside. There's a, you know, there's a, you know, there's there's the opposite where right. if things don't work out exactly like you think, if you buy the stock and it, let's say it goes up five dollars, you you make twelve and a half percent. You still made some money, but if you buy the call option and it doesn't get above the strike price that you enter into, you you've lost what you've invested on the uh, on right. the call. So there's a lot more reward, but a lot more risk uh, with these uh, with these uh, options. So with that as a backdrop, and we the strategy you saw on the prior page didn't use calls, but it did use puts. So I wanted to introduce the call as an, uh, a way to really show how the put works. The put is the right. opposite. Put gives you the right to sell something at a predetermined price. Uh, I, th these um, put and call options, they're good for a, time, a certain time period. The, the, the put and call markets are very complex. You can agree to have the right to buy or sell, you know, to buy or sell something for a quarter, six months, a year, 18 months. You can go out of- Right, uh, you, can, uh, you can do long ones. 
Yeah, you can do very yeah. long-term uh, periods. And likewise, the strikes can vary quite a bit too. Uh, the strikes do vary quite a bit. You, you could agree to you know, sell something at, at $45, $46, $46.50. So when you add up all the different time frames and all the different strike prices, it is a complex uh, uh, myriad of options out there. Right. And uh, so how the, the put works, uh, it's how you make money when uh, something goes down in value is, in this case, again, you, you pay, let's just say you pay $5 uh, to buy the put, and let's say ABC Beverage Corporation is trading at $40 a share today, and you agree to sell it, uh, or the put gives you the opportunity to sell it at $35 a share. If, if the, uh, you know, if that stock falls $5, then you're starting to get to a point where you can make money. And let's just say an extreme example here is the company goes bankrupt and goes out of business. Um, you could buy for maybe a penny uh, a share uh, or, or 10 cents a share, some very low price. You could, you could buy the stock and you turn around to the person that sold you the put and they are legally obligated. You have a contract with that right. person. That person has to buy the shares at $35 if you've agreed in advance and you paid them for the, for the put option. So you could go to that person with something that's, you know, very low value or practically worthless and say, hey, you remember that contract we entered into about, you know, five months ago? Uh, I'd like you to buy these worthless shares for $35. And they, they're obligated to do that and they will do that. So here's, right. here's a mathematical example. Again, just like we did with the, uh, with the calls, uh, you could buy, I, I'll kind of go quickly through the first column, but if you, if the equivalent of trying to make money on a stock, if you think it's going to go down is you sell it short and selling it short basically means you borrow it from Paul, you turn around, you sell it to Steve. And if the price goes down in value, you buy it back, you know, from somebody on the open market to return right. to Paul and you capture the difference between the lower price that you buy it back at and the price that, uh, that, uh, you know, Paul's obligated to, to pay you for it or, or that you borrowed it from Paul. So that's, sorry, that's, that's uh, selling short, very dangerous, very risky. I don't recommend um, anybody, but the most experienced of traders and money managers do it, but you can, you can accomplish a very similar uh, objective by owning a put and right. a put in this case, you could buy a put for maybe for $4 a share. Uh, in this case, you know, it, it's, it, this is the obligation where the person's agreed to buy it back at, at uh, $40. If it drops down um, to $10 a share, you capture all the profit between the strike price and what it fell to because you can right. buy it back, sell it to the person who agreed to, uh, to buy it from you. And in this case, again, you see here 525%. That's just one example, you know, potentially large gains that you can achieve when the market falls. And, uh, but the corollary, the contrary, if things don't work out, uh, in the bottom example, you, you lose what you pay for the put. If you don't, it's like insurance, you know, you, you, you right. paid so for insurance on the if, house. If you, if you don't have a car crash, you're right. You paid right. your insurance and you get nothing from it other than the, you know, knowing that if you'd had a car crash, in other right. words, it, it's funny though, you know, here's one of the reasons I wanted to do this today. And that is I have constantly, you know, I used to, when I was still doing investment advisory, I would have clients who didn't mind paying for car insurance that they didn't have to exercise. They didn't mind paying for home insurance that they didn't have to exercise. But right. the idea of paying for a put that they never needed to use was really infuriating. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, they would watch the money sort of run out the bottom of the portfolio. And but so... If Right. If, that was if if 
if they were to go through a 9-11 event, uh, uh, a COVID event, somewhere where they see a lot of their wealth could have been wiped out, it changes right. their viewpoint. So you, you need you need to you need to take a long term view and understand it's there for a reason. It, right. It's not always going to provide you a return. But when you really need it, you're going to be glad you have it. Well, here's the question. Which is worse for you? Is it worse <coughs> to wake up and find yourself down 50% because you wanted to save money on the put? Or is it yeah. worse to wake up and, 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 you know, and the money sort of drained out of the port? In other words, you've got to, you've got to look at the worst side of being hedged or not hedged and which one is worse for you. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Exactly. And think of another way to think about it is, um, you know, obviously you're going to be glad you have it when there's a, a market downturn, but let's just say there isn't a market downturn. At the end of the day, you're still 90 to 95 percent invested in equities, um, and therefore, as the market's drifting up, you're making money. But what you've spent on the put that didn't really provide a return, it's just, it's just eating a, a little bit into the profit you might otherwise have captured. Right. And, it's a drag. It's a yeah. drag on the. If if we knew we were in a long-term bull market, yeah. and we didn't care about the ups and downs, we just never do a a hedge and just let it go up and down and not not worry about it. So right. if you're 20 years old and you're putting your first amount of money in the stock market and you're not planning on touching it till you retire, you probably wouldn't want to do a hedge because why spend the money, just let it run up and run down and don't care about it. Right. But if right. you've, you know, if you've spent your whole life saving and you've made it through the financial crisis and you don't want to take a 35 to 50% down, you know, then a little drag on your portfolio is worth it. Right. 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 And in this lower right example here, you see you, you bought a stock for 40. Uh, it went up to 50. So you have a $10 gain in the security itself. If you paid $4 for the put, instead of making a 10% return on that scenario, you made you made 6%. Right. You still made money. So that that's a that's an example. Right. Of what we it's were just better discussing. than nothing in the bond market. Exactly. Right. So going back to the prior slide, um, what I wanted to do was kind of zoom in uh, now that we understand how the a little bit better how the puts work and how they can go up when the market goes down. I wanted to zoom in on this this COVID era and show what this portfolio did when uh, when we experienced COVID. So the prior page was weekly. This page is daily. So there's more detail. And this is just from the beginning of 2020 till the end of May 2020. So it's a five five months snapshot before right. and after COVID. Right. And you can see here the this portfolio, uh, the highest that it uh, uh, the highest that the equities were prior to uh, the downturn was in late January and the equities were worth about six hundred and thirty one thousand dollars. You know, you, you can see it zigzag along a little bit and then right. when news of COVID was hitting it just it goes down you know classic classic crash kind of downturn 32% uh, of the value of these equities were lost in a very short time frame and right. uh, during so and during that time uh, as you see here if my mouse was working right around this time there was a put that was in the account um, that that had been sold and a new put was purchased to take its place I think the person managing this account was was worried about the outlook and they wanted to get the the best protection at that point in time and so uh, uh, there was a there were puts for this size uh, portfolio it was determined that about thirty five thousand dollars worth of puts was was the appropriate investment to protect the um, protect the account. And you can see here that after the market uh, really starts to decline, that put goes up in value. That $35,000 right. $35, investment became
became as valuable as a as 160,000 at the uh, at the peak in in kind of mid to late March, and then about three days later, when that put was ultimately you know sold and 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 cashed out so to speak, uh, uh, 109,000 was was uh, realized on a $35,000 investment. So that was which that is was... now available. You know, if you don't roll over completely, is now available to buy stocks cheap. Exactly, and that's exactly right. what happened in this case. I have a comment here on the slide that that after that put was sold, about eighty thousand dollars worth of equities were were purchased, and at what in retrospect turned out to be a very good time in the market because we saw the right. market recover and go up at that point. And about I think about forty thousand. Well, some a good portion of the 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 money that was used to buy those equities was from um, the the proceeds from the put, and the rest right. was from cash that was sitting in the account. So you get to the end of the well. The, I, the, the the key takeaway here is um, with the puts in this account, this account only went down at the worst point, 7.9% in value. Um, you know, ideally you have just the right amount of protection that you, you don't lose any value, but nevertheless, you know, in this crazy time, the, the mark, the, uh, the account had, had declined close to 8%, but that's, that's much less uh, than, than, than this person would have experienced if they didn't have the put, they would have been down 32%. Right, and then as we see the market recover and everything started to trade up from there, and and the rest is history. But the the key takeaway is you don't have to worry. You're going to wake up and just see you've been wiped out because that put is going to kick in when you need it if if everything's done properly. So you know, I just have to say, for most people watching the value of their portfolio drop that much in a yeah. in a short period of time is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, especially because if you're if you're like you and me and you know what's going on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're really worried, okay, the markets live through thick and thin, but, you know, World War Three may be too much for it. So right. it, it's a scary now, feeling. Um, I don't think every investor should have a hedged portfolio. And we're going to see on the next page right. an example where, where, I, where I think it makes sense. So... I've taken the same chart that you, we've just been looking at with the hedged account, and I've overlaid on top of it this magenta-colored line on top of it. That's the Standard & Poor's 500 index, and you can see that you know if if you had put uh, 500,000 into both strategies at the at the end of you know near the end of 2015, you know your the hedge strategy would have done better in the early couple days here or early, early couple months because this is where the stock market had declined, but but this right. portfolio. Uh, held held up, and then I'm not sure exactly what happened here. Uh, towards the end of 2016, the S&P just took off. It could have been some of the right. high flyer tech stocks that really went up. Now, the the stocks that are invested in this portfolio, they tend not to be high flyer tech stocks. They're more right. stable, dividend paying, you know, high quality sto uh, stocks that you know they're number one, two, three in their industry, but they're not right. necessarily. Right. So part of the drag is Google. the is the is the beta of the portfolio just being right. more conservative, right? Right. So, um, and, you know, so the S&P does get ahead of this portfolio, but here you see during this COVID crash, had you not had the hedge, you know, you, even even though you may have risen to a higher point before all this, it still fell through the value of this hedged account because this hedged account, it's more of a steady eddy, you know, kind of marshal along and not lose right. value in bad times. 
And, but then again, after the COVID crash, we've seen a really big um, pop in the market. Those people who got out, oops, those people who got out, sorry, I didn't mean to hit that. Those people who got out and didn't get back in, unfortunately, just they've left a lot of money on the table. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to get right. out and you you get spooked and then you don't know when's the right time to get back in. And you really, the the really nice thing about having having a hedged account is you can be in the market for the times that the market's, you know, going up and, and building value and you don't have to worry about just losing it all in a, in a big downturn because right. that, that hedge will kick in. Right. So who who should have a hedge and who shouldn't have a hedge? Uh, the way I like to look at it, you know, I, I, if, if, if you're mowing lawns at the age of 15 and putting money in the bank, you don't need a hedge. You know, if you're, if you're in your younger years and you're kind of saving up to build a house or you want to put your kid through college and, and you're saving up for those big bills, you, you, you shouldn't have a hedge because that, at that stage in your life, your game is, you know, you want to build value, build your nest egg and, and, and be able to, to utilize it for your, for your needs. But when you start getting, and there's no magic age, I'm, I'm not going to say that any one age you should start doing it but when you start getting into your 40s 50s certainly your 60s and 70s when you're at the point where you've made your lifetime money you, you've got your nest egg it's more important at that point to make sure it doesn't go down than it is to really right. get that extra dollar on the upside that's when you really should be thinking about having a hedge and i think that's where it makes sense well 10 years ago you know everybody would say we're just going to move the the amount of fixed income higher and higher yeah and so yeah. and so you would move you would reallocate out of equities into uh you know, probably municipal bonds or, but more into fixed income. And right. the problem is given the credit deterioration and the yield deterioration in the fixed income, fixed income is really not the alternative it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And so one of the things I like about hedged equity is, you know, it's not zero or one. If you, if you, let's say that if the day had come when you wanted to do a lot of, or normally you would have gone more to fixed income, you say, no, I don't want to go there because it's just a inflation arbitrage that works against me. I'm going to stay in equities. You don't have to have a hundred percent of your equities in hedged equity. If you, right. you know, you can make a decision to, to hedge 50% or yep. 25% or, you know, it depends on your risk profile. It depends on how much you can tolerate going down. Right. But um, I think the, if you, believe sort of the planet equity rambus scenario uh but you don't want to take that 30 percent down and you don't trust the politicians to do what you know to run to run the equity markets in a enlightened manner then hedged equity is something you want to consider Right. Anyway, right. so, and to your point about bonds, the next slide really is going to make that point. It used to be, you know, the good old days, right. uh, you, you would put maybe, maybe in your younger years, 90% in equity and 10% in bonds. And as you get older in life, you make, you start moving that more to 50, 50. And then when you're up in age, you're 90% in bonds and 10% in equity. That was, that was um, a possibility back when bonds were paying a, a reasonable rate. And you can see here, this is the 30 year treasury. Uh, back in the 90s, you could get five, six, seven percent, sometimes even higher. Uh, that that worked out then, but as we've seen this destruction in in um, in the rates that they've paid, you know, for the last decade and more, uh, you know, we've we've seen a little bit of a rebound here. It's up to two two percent or so at this point. Right. But you're 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 lucky to keep up with inflation at that point. If if anything, you're probably falling oh, behind. Oh, there's no, there's no way you can keep up with inflation. I yeah. mean, if you look at what's going on with food prices, or yeah. The sort of the common house of, uh, you know, house of household goods. There's just no way you're, 
You know, I don't know what things are like in Pennsylvania, but I dare say your food bill is not holding steady at 2% gains. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, Jason, this has been very useful. So, so tell me, um, how, I, I'm going to ask you to guess, of all the people who say they don't mind living through the downs, what percent really can live through the downs? Um, well, I mean, inevitably they're forced to cause they don't have a choice, but you know, um, all, all things being equal, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'll answer that a slightly different way. And then I'll, I'll just say if, if it, now that you know what a hedge can do for you, if, if you have the option to, to do it, you know, why not? But, uh, I, 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 it's hard to say how many people, you know, can't live through the downs, but clearly it, it, you have to, by extension, you have to cut back on everything to just get through or else right. you run up your credit cards and, and then you got a whole new set of problems at that point. Right. Right. Okay. Anything else you want to point out at the market? I had one question I wanted to ask, cause I've been following pretty closely the government's efforts to do employee mandates. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm just preparing money in markets for this week. And, the, uh, there's a new article this morning. They have put uh, fines in the infrastructure package, the 3.5 trillion. And again, I don't know if it's going to go through, but they've, they've put in fines of 70,000 to 700,000 for companies that don't implement the mandates. Even there's no, there's no basis in law. We don't have a law. We don't have a rule. We don't have anything. Yeah. If the sheriff of Nottingham is going to start <laughs> shaking down companies to implement you know, a whole variety of policies, whether you like them or not. Um, and, and companies really, you know, the, the strength of the U.S. stock market has always been uh, confidence globally in the rule of law. Right. But if the sheriff of Nottingham is going to shake down companies and control the equity markets, you know, is our equities a place to be? That's really my question. <clears throat> well, I... I think yes, largely for the reason being that where else are you going to put your money? I mean, you can, right. we just discussed bonds. They don't play the role they used to. You could go out, you could buy rental income, you know, have apartments and rent them out. And, and I think that can play a nice role in some people's portfolios. I know some people who do that and as opposed to investing right. in the stock market at all, but you've got a lot of headaches there. You got a lot of upkeep. You got, you know, maybe you have a property management firm. Well, that, that, that firm just ends up eating into your profits anyway. So uh, I, if you want to dabble in cryptocurrencies, I view it as a, as a, as a, um, a, a gambling joint. Maybe you're going to do real well, but <laughs> it, it could disappear just as easily. So, right. so where else are you going to put your money? And, and, you know, I, I look at, um, I look at, you know, just to use an example, Bill Gates, right? I mean, Bill Gates is a very powerful person. We may not all agree with his worldview points, uh, but he's in the stock market. So he's, he's, you know, he's built well, all he's his wealth. he's in farmland. <laughs> And farmland and farmland, farmland. but so uh, he's but... running up the housing prices all across America. <laughs> um, one of the things I talk a lot about, and I've, I've done a lot more in the other equity overviews is the importance of resilience. So any investment you can make to lower your nut and you are a person who's done a lot to try and, um, you know, whether it's in your household or in your, I mean, you're a person who's invested a lot of time and money in resiliency, right? Right. And and so you believe in that. I, I do. Um, what I what I like to caution people or, 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 or um, recommend to people who are worried, hey, you know, are we heading into a really dark time ahead? 
you know, you know, should I take everything and buy gold coins and silver bars? You know, <laughs> here's here's what you can do, right? First, first and foremost, get a pantry of food supplies, whether it's dehydrated food or canned goods or something that if if things get really bad, you've got you don't have to worry about food so much. And then secondly, depending on where in the country you live, at one point I lived in a desert. I had barrels of water in my garage because, right. you know, that was a risk to me. And so so if you need you know, stock up on food, stock up on water, stock up on, have a generator. So if you lose power, you know, you can, you can at least keep your refrigerator and freezer going. Um, uh, I live in a part of the country now where I can literally drive just a couple miles down the road and, and buy a quarter of a cow from a farmer. And I've done that now twice. And so, uh, so get everything. If, if, if we're in a lights out scenario, if there's a, a neutron bomb or whatever they're called, that's exploded over the country and everything just goes out the electric grid and the communications grid and everything, you know, get yourself set up. You know, I don't mean to just be so doom and gloom, but when, when you get that behind you, when you have to, when you stop worrying about that, it gives you so much, first of all, freedom and, right. and, and power to then begin well, to think about another, it's, it's a real asset hedge. Right. 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 Yep. And then beyond that, okay, well, then then you can really start saying how much gold coins and silver bars should I have? I don't recommend people keep more than maybe 15% of their wealth in that because, uh, you know, for one thing, God forbid, you know, someone breaks into your house, puts a gun to your head and your wife's head and says, where's the gold, gold and silver? What are you going to do then? You know, so right. have as much on hand as is going to be prudent for when you actually need it, but don't have so much on hand that, that you know, heaven it's forbid something like that. Yeah, right. yeah. And you can, of course, you can have it in vault, you can have it somewhere off site, but then there's issues getting access to it if you really need it at that point, too. So, um, so do what you can to sleep better at night, um, you know, and, and, you know, food, water, um, precious metals. Then right, but you it's can not, start. It's not either or, because I've watched you for many years work through all the issues from stockpiling and managing real assets to having your money in securities or in other jurisdictions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you've gone and it's it's never either or you it's right. i think of it like a chessboard you right. want to field your players on the board in a way and and you're trying to you know in world war three you're trying to make sure that <laughs> that in the worst case you know they get some of your players but they don't get all of them right 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 i i, I totally agree and it takes a time and effort and energy and and when it was hard for me to make that first step i i used to um complain to my wife a lot about my fears and concerns and worries and and one day she stopped and she looked at me straight in the eye and she said so what are you going to do about it or what have you done about it even better <laughs> and i was taken aback because i i you know here i was just, i was you know this is when i was living in a desert and worried about water of all things and so, right. so I, literally within a very short time period is when I got the barrels and filled them up with water. And, and once I did that, I thought this, I can do this, you know, and you, I think the most right. important thing, take, take the first step. Once you get the first step, then the rest kind of fall into place. Cause you, you're on a, you're on a path at that point. Right. But to me, and, and this is the hardest thing I need to communicate because many people who subscribe to the Silly report have been brought up to believe that they can't figure it out for themselves. And yeah. what I keep trying to tell them is, no, you can, because yeah. one of the things I learned as an investment advisor, the plan you come up for the this person is totally different. You know, if, if any of my clients had ever managed their money the way I managed my money, I would have killed them. Right. It's like, right. no, I have a purpose. I'm going to spend my money for my purpose. And my purpose is right for me, but it's not right for you. Right. And so everybody can take responsibility 
to go through all the different aspects, whether it's your stockpiling or doing your disaster recovery kit or getting a generator, all the way to doing investments, you know, and, and there's a whole portfolio of different options and only you can govern that. Only you yeah. can make those decisions. And if, you, if you've gone through the different decisions and the different scenarios and you know why you own what you own. Right. So I'll tell you a funny story. I'll never forget uh, when I first started uh, investing in gold and silver. You know, gold would take these enormous swan dives down and be down. You know, you'd be at 400 and the next day you'd be at 340. I mean, it's right. unbelievable. Right. And I'll never forget the first time I, I bought gold and it took a nosedive. I mean, it, even though I was prepared, it took my breath away. Yeah. Then I got used to it and I just got used to saying, oh, well, it's, you know, it's good. I have some nice land and I'm growing food and all this other stuff. But then I remember putting my first client and warning them for days, you know, gold is very volatile. You need to understand it, blah, 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 blah. We finally, we got in at 400. It went to 340, you know, <laughs> a week later. And, right. and all of his friends were trying to convince him that I was a charlatan. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and then, you know, when it went over a thousand, we used to laugh about how great it was. He got it at 400. Right. Right. But anyway, so, so each one of us has to take responsibility. No one can give you that plan in this environment. You got to do it yourself because what we're dealing with is not investment risk. We're dealing with political risk and there's right. no financial solution for, uh, for that kind of political risk. There's no. Right. You know, you're dealing with you're dealing with real risk, and you're dealing with having to navigate in a world where there are a lot of people and institutions are not trustworthy. It's just the way it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And but yet you have the power to get yourself as as well fortified and positioned as you can. So yep. you can't control everything, but that much you at least you can control. Yep. Yeah. Well, I know whatever goes on, you're going to be in good shape. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I knew you'd say that. Okay, Jason Worth, thank you for joining us on the third quarter wrap-up equity overview. Thank you, I Kevin. look forward to being in cahoots. Um, <laughs> happy hedging. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.